Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to be part of this, his ministry. Somebody famous once said, let's begin the night with a quote. <laughs> said, I pray for the day when Christianity is entirely stripped of its own culture, when opinions, politics, lifestyles, tastes, and attitudes are lost in the blinding light of Christ's love. Something to think about tonight. All right, listen, take another look. I want you to try and imagine what we are doing here. Take 15 or 20 verse-by-verse -verse Bible teachers, not ones that you see on TV. We're going with people who have been teaching behind the pulpit for decades and have recorded their sermons, Chuck Smith, John Corson, uh, Les Feldick, people like that. We're going to put them on with a bunch of noted Christian apologists who will talk about things that so help make us understand issues a little bit better. We're going to spread their teachings out through some, we hope, interesting graphics and music and artistry, vibrant television venue, toss-in programs that deal with Mormonism and short films, fine art education, stand-up comedy, good music clips, and somewhere between five, six, maybe seven original programs and spots, and you have got the Heart of the Matter television network giving God a chance to make sense on 19.3 beginning, and we hope thereafter we'll get picked up by cable and then dish and direct, going to hopefully across the nation. Is this going to work because we have gathered together a bunch of top-notch professional television people? Only in the sense of our stand-up comedian is that the case. The rest of us are amateurs. And so, no, is it going to fly because we have deep pockets and are going to produce high-end productions with wonderful marble sets and golden chairs and flaming pink hair on our wives? No, it's going to happen because God's going to let it happen or he won't. So pray for us. Tell your friends, Heart of the Matter Television Network is on its way, giving God a chance to make sense. March 1st, we'll do what we're calling a soft launch. Last week, we ended our interview with faithful LDS believer Doug Bundy. 
If you haven't watched the shows last week and the week before, you ought to take a minute and go to HOTM.TV website. Check them out. Among other things, Bundy openly admitted as a faithful Mormon since 1965, that's almost 50 years, that Latter-day Saints truly believe plural marriage is an eternal principle that will be practiced after this life. He readily admitted that, that, they, that Mormons are the only real Christians on the face of the earth, and unless somebody accepts the Book of Mormon, they cannot be considered a Christian. That Mormons believe and teach that God was once a man and that men may become God, a God. That people must pass by Joseph Smith, uh, have his approbation, in other words, to enter into the celestial kingdom. That both he, meaning Doug Bundy, and other men are called high priests right along with Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's just Jesus Christ is the grand high priest. And that the LDS church, Doug said, is going to fall. That was an interesting insight. He says that's according to Doctrine and Covenants, uh, LDS scripture, that it's going to fall. And then the Book of Mormon is proven authentic, not through material supports, he said, but because of its fulfillment of biblical and Book of Mormon prophecy. I liked Doug. He was friendly and affable, fairly forthright. Uh, his big soapbox that he stood on was centers on his belief that the Book of Mormon fulfills Old Testament promises God made to Israel and that these promises are being fulfilled today, even in the Americas, by the LDS. Now, this theory is not novel at all. Uh, in fact, uh, as the Book of Mormon premises, around the 19th century in the burned over district and beyond, many Christians were talking about how Israel and the promises would be fulfilled and could it possibly be fulfilled through the Native Americans here in America. And a large part of this was propagated by a guy named Ethan Smith Pastor Ethan Smith, a Christian who wrote a book called View of the Hebrews, and Ethan Smith happened to be Oliver Cowdery's pastor, uh, Oliver Cowdery's family pastor from Vermont. And so we have complete ties to Ethan Smith's View of the Hebrews, it working its way into the text of the Book of Mormon. I'm not so sure Doug knows this. In any case, it was fun having a fairly forthright, although beguiled, LDS man on the show, and I admire him as an individual. I thought he was very uh, nice. Low point of the show con uh, concerned a Christian man who called in. He said his name was Dave from Salt Lake City. The reason I say it was a low point is because this caller had an agenda that I could hear the moment he started talking. A lot of other people couldn't hear it until he went on. And uh, his position really was to attack me and my person and some stances I have uh, relative to the eternality of punishment. And I don't mind such an attack. In fact, if Dave from Salt Lake City wants to call back tonight, he certainly can and he won't get the same reception. But he called in when we had an LDS guest and he tried to divide us and he tried to split up what was going on. And so uh, Dave does not appreciate as my so-called brother in Christ that my personal response to five-point Calvinism and Arminianism is total reconciliation of all men through Christ. He attempted to show that I was actually preaching a form of Mormon universalism. That's what, that, 
That was his accusation. So he called to talk to Doug, and then he was going to use it against me. And when I recognized that, I called him an idiot, which was really a kind term considering his personality. And, uh, and I refused to let him continue. So uh, his ultimate agenda was then revealed when he said, you're not even a Christian, McCraney, and you're a cult leader. So uh, before we continue with the show tonight, let me clearly explain how reconciliation is in no way a form of universalism. These, these things are very important to understand. And by the way, uh, uh, contrary to popular opinion, I have never read anything by Rob Bell. For some reason, uh, that's assumed. In Christianity, we speak of people being saved. Are you saved? Have you been saved? What are we saved from? If somebody is saved, what are they saved from? Listen, only people who receive Christ by faith in this life are saved. Do you get that? Those who reject him are not saved because they are going to inherit what we are saved from, hell and the lake of fire. Do you get that? So it's not everybody is saved when people take this position. So you just say everybody's saved. That is not it at all. People who believe in Christ are saved from that. And, and, and they're saved from death and uh, second death and hell. Uh, Christians go to heaven after this life and escape the second death. Christians are saved from these things. Again, when a person says, I am saved, they are saying that they have been saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ from sin and its end result, if not paid for or covered, I should say, uh, hell and the second death. So those who are saved are also participants in the first resurrection. Those who are not are not part of the first resurrection. And those who are saved enjoy the presence of God in their life now. Those who are not saved do not enjoy that. And finally, those who are saved who grow in faith and love and suffer with Christ, as this is all biblical, become co-heirs with Christ. Those who are not saved do not experience any of those things. All of this is in and through the shed blood of Jesus Christ for believers. Universalism does not teach these things. Universalism teaches that all roads lead to heaven, that Jesus is not necessary any more than just your own thoughts, that uh, all people are saved. Universalism teaches that there is no hell, no second death, no lake of fire. I'm not suggesting these things at all. However, I do strongly believe the Bible teaches these things, and we have a graphic for you. First, it teaches that God is sovereign. Do you believe, ask, do a little test with me tonight. The, I believe the Bible teaches God is sovereign. Do you believe this? Quietly, you can just answer yes or no. That God is love. Do you believe this? Yes or no. That God's will is that all people would come to him. He would desire this. Do you believe this? Yes or no. That Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world. Do you believe this? Yes or no? And by the way, on that point, if God is a just God, why on earth would he have his son suffering for the sins of the whole world if most of it was gonna go unneeded? That doesn't make any sense at all, does it? If he's just and fair and good and merciful, his son would never pay for the sins of the whole world. He would only pay for the sins of the ones who God knew he was going to save. So he's unjust and unmerciful if Jesus pays for the sins of the whole world, but nevertheless, the whole world doesn't receive it. Finally, will every, not finally, will every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe this, yes or no? And finally, before creating anything, 
This loving, sovereign God, by and through his foreknowledge, knew the end result of all things, yes or no. Now listen, if you said yes to those things, which most Bible-believing people say yes to, except if you're a really strong five-point Calvinist, uh, there is no way, there is no logical or reasonable way you could say that God puts people in lake of fire punishment for eternity. That is an impossible conclusion if you said yes to those things that we just showed. So call us up and argue with us if that troubles you. And with that, how about a moment from Zawad? And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. Built into the human flesh, probably at birth, I guess, is the propensity to love everything that we relate to that is of our own and to hate and dislike things that are different and things that are not. Victor Hugo said something to the effect that there are people who, if they have great love for some, have to have the same amount of hate for others. I read that many, many years ago and it's always stuck with me. Eric Hoffer, the longshore philosopher, he studied mass movements in a book called The True Believer and he proves that this mentality of us versus them is alive and well in most, most institutions. People find security in numbers and in belonging and what they cling to as absolutes make them feel they have the right to castigate uh, those who differ from them. Even if they differ just in the least, it's our nature to say, oh, I hate you, you know, you're not one of us. Of course, the Lord sets the tone right in his walk when he is working with his disciples. And we get a few examples of him doing this from the word. The apostles, they were frequently found in possession of this us versus them mentality. And even to the point of wanting to destroy people who resisted their ways. But Jesus set them straight. Remember, we read in the Gospel of Mark that the apostles saw some dude casting out demons in Jesus' name, and they stopped him. Don't do that anymore. Stop it. We are the ones who do that. The reason they gave was because he followed not them. He's doing this, but he doesn't follow us. And we read Jesus say in response, goodeth on you men, all who are worthy of me do everything exactly the sameth way as everyone if elseth, or else they are cast outable. Right? Remember that verse? That's not what he said at all, did he? We have some, we have some maverick out there casting out devils in Jesus' name, and Jesus doesn't stop him. Jesus says, actually, forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can likely speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. That's Mark 9, 39 through 40. That's always intrigued me, especially when it comes to authority and priesthood and all those things the LDS talk about. Well, later the apostles made another attempt to punish those who weren't living and seeing the world like they saw it. Jesus and the 12 were headed to Jerusalem and they were really fixed on going there and they were passing through Samaria. And the Samaritans probably had a little bit of a uh, uh, complex about 
Jews passing through and treating them with disdain. Well, Jesus and his apostles were obviously set on going to Jerusalem, and as they passed through Samaria, the Samaritans were kind of ticked. They could see they really don't have anything to do with us right now, and so they treated them poorly. That, that's paraphrasing. So what do James and John, the beloved, do in response to this treatment? It says, uh, they said, Lord, Wilt thou command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went into another village. Now, there's never a time to soft sell the truth. Jesus didn't do that. He spoke the truth, and yeah, he was confrontational with certain people about it, but we don't compromise that, but the, the objective in sharing the truth is to reach and teach and bring people to the light out of love. Even if the love is strong, the objective is to bring them out, not to just castigate them, not despise them because they are different from us. All right, with that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we need you. We had, a, we had a girl, Lord, tonight have a grand mal seizure here at the studio, which terrified everybody. And we have all kinds of things going on around us which are troubling and difficult. And so we just pray that your spirit will be with those who are here, present with us in the studio audience, and then with those who are watching on TV or uh, their computer or who will be watching online and that we will try to follow you and we will seek you and be people who do speak the truth but with the objective of love and we just pray for this now in jesus name amen okay we're going to use the whiteboard to lay out and what i'm going to do is we're, i've titled this show in my notes what we're going to do in 2014. let's see how i'm going to go about this we want to try to establish truth. Now, I, I struggle in my description of truth like all of you do. I'm wrong a lot of the time. But we want to substantiate it the best we can by the word of God. Not by myth-making, like Joseph Smith. We don't want to make up myths. That is not going to work, and that we can see that having been LDS or whatever. And we don't want to do it by adhering to traditions either. Uh, or theologies, we want sound biblical truth that is substantiated contextually, not just one passage, but as we look at the whole picture. In the Mormon Christian debate, this is really essential to do because to accept anything less is to accept more man-made religion and tradition. And so uh, I can't tell you how difficult it is to watch good truth-seeking people come out of the LDS church only to stumble in places uh, that, where they should be cared for and they should find truth being given, and, but they're merchandised like a lamb to the slaughter, if not doctrinally, then financially or spiritually or in some religiously predatory way. So can we come to some reasonable, rational, common biblical ground between us. And so what I've done is I have illustrated here on the board, Derek's gonna follow me. I have my trusty pen here. 
And what I've done is I've just created two little caricatures, and here we have a Mormon. She represents Mormonism. And here we have the trash of Mormonism, which I'm gonna write here really quickly. And then we have a basket of things that we should keep, okay? And ultimately, with those things that we, that we keep, we're gonna put our little Mormon gal uh, up here on this stand, okay? And then what we have over here is we have Christian man. And Christian man, he has his trash too, but he also has his basket of things that we should keep. And so I'm trying to do is, is show people who have come out of Mormonism or people who are thinking about it, what, where, where is some of the common ground upon which uh, we can stand and um, together where we can have a marriage, let's just say, between the two without, for, without losing truth, without throwing the Bible out, but getting rid of the absolute garbage that comes with this religion and garbage that comes with this one. So we know when it comes to trash and Mormonism, uh, we can throw out their extra biblical books. Not because the Book of Mormon is necessarily terribly bad, but books means Doctrine and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price. Let's throw those, they go in the trash because all they do is lead people away one way or another and believe somehow that, that Joseph provided something. Let's get rid of temple rites. Anybody who wants to walk in truth is gonna say, okay, I'm gonna check these off on my list and throw them in the trash heap where they belong. Let's uh, get rid of absolutely priesthood and all of its appellations to holding a priesthood, whether it be Aaronic or Melchizedek. Let's get rid of first visions, all nine of them. And, and let's just say, look, it was a fabrication. He did not see God in a body of flesh and bone, and that's gonna play into some other things. Let's get rid of their plan of salvation. I know I'm getting low here. Derek, you still got it? Okay, plan of salvation, because that plan ultimately leads to the, the deification of man, and we wanna get rid of that too. Now, there's a lot of other things that we could do, but let's just say we get rid of those. Now, what are we gonna keep? What are we gonna keep in the basket? I say we keep the way they do church. Their, let's just say their organization. I don't mean a prophet and apostle, but I mean the way they do Sunday church. I think they're really smart. I think they've done a really good thing. In fact, even here at campus on Sundays in the mornings, afternoon we don't do this, we've adopted some of the things the LDS do. For instance, we have our congregates get up and do the praying. Why would I do all the praying? I'm a bad prayer. So we have the congregates come up, and then we have them do a sermonette, which is just like a three and a half minute talk. I stole that from the LDS. That's a good thing. It teaches them to get up and they, and they learn to articulate points from the Bible. They're not just getting up there telling their testimony. They're actually teaching the Bible. So we can learn things from the organization. We can, and, and, and part of that is we can learn from their youth program. I think we can learn from what they do with their uh, teens and uh, not, not necessarily the things they teach them, but the way they've structured that, I think it's phenomenal. That's why, you know, in many ways, the LDS have such good youth who are kind of, and they have bad ones too, don't get me wrong, but that, that, that stuff helps. And then they have a very, 
a pretty good approach to service. Now, that can be really mandatory and ugly, but I'm not talking about embracing that stuff. I'm just saying, let's just keep some of those things and learn from that from this side of the marriage. All right, now over on this side, we've got to throw in the trash, get rid of that. We've got to get rid of health and wealth. It's got to go. It's despicable. We have to get rid of the faith healers. In my opinion, they're despicable. Sorry, I know that makes people mad. We have to get rid of, and this happens in Mormonism too, ecclesiastical abuses. And the pastors often, and the boards and all that stuff, they can get really ugly and, and if they're, you know, so anyway, we, we talk about that. We have to get rid of the isms. And in my opinion, that's Calvinism. That's Arminianism. That's any ism that is the product of a man who has tried to take the Bible that we can all read and tried to say, this is what it absolutely means. And no one can differ at all. Those have to go. And then with both sides, we have to get rid of this the focus on this. And it, you know, it, it comes through subtle ways here, but it's just as duplicitous in the Christian church as it is over here. Here they make you pay 10% of your income to get into the temple, to get your endowments, to go to heaven, and then keep going repeating that. And so you got a steady flow of 10%. Here they preach tithing, and they say things like, if you don't pay it, you'll get to heaven, but you'll be at the back of the bus. It's a bunch of bull. That's just, it's all, it's all money. It's a thing of this world. And so that stuff, if we can throw those things away and, and then keep, what do we keep? I would say the most significant thing, the body of Christ, that Christianity, I'm, this is Christianity, not the body of Christ, excuse me. Body of Christ is believers. This is the organization. The, the most invaluable tool is their studies and their insights on the Bible. I mean, they, we have so much that has been done in research, in the languages, and everything else that the LDS side would, would just benefit wonderfully if we were able just to bring what Christians have in their understanding of the Bible to the LDS faith. It would break open great doors. So that's, that's one thing. And, and of course, the focus on Jesus as Lord, which kind of goes hand in hand with the Bible. Those two things primarily... I would suggest are, are the greatest things Christianity can bring to this marriage between Mormonism and the Christian church. So this year, having discarded this, we're not gonna talk about these things, having admitted this, admitted these things, discarding this, this year what we're gonna do is talk about how both sides have, in my opinion, misinterpreted And then we have misinterpret here these essential things. We're going to start beginning next week with God. Over here, we have the Trinity. Am I saying Jesus is not God? Never. So don't, don't not watch ever again starting right now. But I'm saying the Trinity is a man-made idea and that the Bible clearly teaches who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, and how there is one God, and it's not this convoluted, impossible egg, steam, ice, 
whatever, fire, fire uh, who's your favorite in the Trinity, Jesus, Holy Spirit, or Father? It's none of that. And so that's a mistake. But then over here, we have them talking about henotheism, where God has a body and there are a multiplicity of gods, both of them. Have, have, have taken man's ideas and put it in there. I say we go to the Bible and we use what the Bible says about God. From there, we're gonna talk about the fall. Now, the, I would suggest the Christian has a much better view on the fall, but they also have some things that I've never heard, I've never understood when, uh, I've never heard them, uh, I have never heard them taught in the Christian church even though I haven't gone to Christian church, but Christian radio and other places, I don't hear some of the concepts about the fall taught. It's just always, look at it, just happened like this. And then of course, we have in Mormonism it being a fall upward. So we're gonna spend a little time talking about some of the nuances of the fall. Now, as I continue on here, no, I am not trying to be a syncretist which means I'm not trying to be ecumenical and have this couple hold hands on falsehood. I am trying to say, look at neither institution has done a really good biblical job. There's been things that have not really made sense relative to the Bible. So I think it's healthy to explore them. Some of those things, I'm gonna be wrong but there's nothing wrong with trying to figure them out and talk about them in a new way that everybody on this side is terrified of speaking of and everybody on this side absolutely throws out because of their myths. We're gonna talk about uh, repentance, which in my opinion and my understanding from both sides is completely misunderstood and lost. We're gonna talk about soteriology which is how we are saved and what that means, what's that equal to in the Christian life. Here, it means one thing. Here, it means another, depending on the religion that you uh, belong to. So, uh, soteriology. And then we're gonna talk a little bit about how to do church, but we've already touched on that. So, and then we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, eschatology. And you know what that is? That's called the end times study. And how, what the LDS view is of end times, which is kind of vague, and then the Christian view and the multiplicity of end time positions that are out there. And then we're gonna come to um, uh, the hereafter, which is part of eschatology, really. And what uh, I think the Bible says about the hereafter for all peoples. In the end, we hope this couple will be able to produce a little baby we call truth. And one that people who coming out of Mormonism can say, wow, that, that, I get that from the Bible. That makes sense. I don't have to listen to a pastor telling me all about this and all about legalism and all about I need to have faith so that I can overcome my cancer. And, 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 and people who are Christian not thinking, wow, we've got all the truth established. Nothing more needs to be established. And Mormonism is just a damned cult. And, and there are cultic aspects of Mormonism, but we're throwing those in the trash. This is what 2014 is gonna be about. And we're gonna be begin next week talking about God. 
Okay, with that, let's take a look at this and we'll take your calls. Welcome back. Look at the re remarkable change. Oompa Loompas. There it is right there. Oompa Loompas. Listen, uh, phone number is 801-590-8413. I know you are all attached to the State of the Union address. I think it's going on right now. But uh, anyway, if you want to call in, 801-590-8413, please do. This is from a guy who sends us two to three emails a day. Even after we have told him to stop, he still does. He says, relative to the idea of total reconciliation, if there was anybody who could win a person to Christ, it was Christ himself. But he didn't win Judas Iscariot. If he wants everybody saved and he and Judas rub shoulders for three and a half years, why didn't he win him? When Peter denied Christ three times, Jesus sought to restore him, but he made no such effort with Judas. Christ also failed to win the rich young ruler. What's wrong with your win all God, Sean? Does he want to rub them for ages and blister them? You know that getting saved in this life is the best deal. Your love all God doesn't want the best for everybody. What kind of love do you call that? This is the kind of logic this guy dispews upon us uh, daily, we get it. And listen, first of all, Christ uh, and God, being a good God, believes in freedom and uh, liberty and freedom of choice, and Judas had a choice. So Christ never imposed himself upon the unbelieving. He merely taught them truth and he let them choose. Did God know what they were gonna choose? Yes. Did Jesus know what uh, Judas would choose? Yes, he did, foreknowledge. When Peter denied Christ three times, Jesus restored him because he knew Peter's heart would receive it. Judas, at that point, would not. There's the, it's a really simple answer. The rich young ruler, at that point, would not receive it. 
What's wrong with your win all God, Sean? He doesn't win all here on this earth. He doesn't win everybody that way. He wins over the process of time. And uh, I do know that getting saved here in this life is the best deal. I don't discount that at all. I believe it. I propose it. I strongly suggest it and teach it. But I do believe in the things that we talked about earlier. And uh, I do know that Jesus said that after paying the utmost farthing, they would get out. That's what he says. After paying the uttermost farthing, they would get out. And that's the picture that we have. So uh, please stop your emails. They're driving me crazy. We have Curtis in Clearwater, Florida. Curtis, you're on heart of the matter. Curtis? Curtis, you're on heart of the matter. Curtis? Curtis? Hello? Curtis, you're on the air, my friend. How's it going, Sean? Long time, no talk. Yes, how have you been? I've been doing super fantastic. Yourself? Excellent. Well, uh, just got a couple things I'd like to share real fast. Um, earlier, you made a comment about trying to get rid of isms. Yeah. Is preterism included in that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, also on the preterism concept, you know, I've, I've, I've thought about it before and I've kind of bandied the idea about I do understand the appeal in it. And something that's always kind of struck me about it is that a lot of times in the Bible, prophecy is kind of like doubled up. You know, Jesus, there's a prophecy in the Old Testament about Jesus. It speaks about him, but it's actually about two comings, the first coming and the second coming. Yeah. So I know a lot of the previous concepts about the end-time um, eschatology having already happened. Do you think that it's also something that could have happened and is going to happen again? Yeah, I don't close that door. I don't know how it would apply to our day. My only point is that the second coming, if we're going to say Jesus came back, I am certain it happened in 70 A.D., if it reapplies itself to our day, I'm absolutely open to that. Okay. And um, other questions. I, I brought it up to you before, and I don't think I really got a, a, a satisfactory answer as far as I was concerned. Probably I not. I told you the biggest problem I have with the idea of people being saved after death is the idea of them. says that people are saved by faith, and you can only have faith in stuff that you have not seen. So... How does somebody get faith after death if they are dead and in a place of punishment or otherwise? I don't understand how that concept works. Well, we're talking about, you're talking about saved and salvation, Curtis, and I'm not talking about saved in that sense. I'm talking about being reconciled. And those who are saved by faith in this life, they are sons and co-heirs with Christ after this. I personally believe, I don't have the time or the ability to explain this through scripture, but I could through like a Bible study, but I personally believe that those who are saved by grace through faith in this life, when they die, they retain because they are reaping what they have sowed part of their person. When God breathed into the clay and Adam became a living soul, that's mind, will, and emotion. And I believe that those who live by the Spirit's mind, will, and emotion will go with them after this life. 
what is burned out by those who are not saved through the lake of fire may be their entire personality. I have no idea what that amounts to. I disbelieve that God will reconcile all things because love never fails and he is love. So uh, in terms of the word all saved, I again, I would just caution that uh, term. I just believe that God will, eternal punishment does not jive with me, not only from scripture and the Greek, it doesn't jive with me for a God who, uh, those questions I said, is he loving, is he sovereign, Did he, does he desire all to be saved, etc. Well, I believe in eternal punishment, but I believe, as I told you before, annihilationism, it's not, you know, torture for eternity. So I, I don't really have those kind of qualms with it. And I don't, whenever I read the scripture, I never, it always seems very clear that people have one shot at, at that's saving. So are you saying that you consider being saved different than what's going to happen to the people after death who are reconciled? You consider Absolutely. That two separate things? Absolutely. Completely different. Yeah, and that's the difference between universalism and total reconciliation, which is why I don't say all will be saved and that there's a universal appeal. But I do believe God will bring back everything he has created to his own goodwill and pleasure. We reap what we sow, there's, there's no question to that. And those who reap in faith and by the Spirit will, will sow in the faith and in the Spirit. Those who have not, I don't know what happens, but I, there's plenty of evidences to me in the scripture that suggests, hey, there's an end to that. He will bring them out, their, their knee will bow, their tongue will confess, and however that happens, I don't know. It's probably not by faith, maybe it's by some other means. For human beings alive in this earth, it's by faith, we don't see him. Those who are there, it's something else, maybe a lesser reward, who knows? So are you saying that Christians who die, they are going to retain, or you, possibly they're going to retain their memories and their personality from the previous existence? I, 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 there's, I have biblical reasons for that. It's because of the use of the word soul when it comes to uh, Christ in scripture talking about what his retain and how not one soul, it, it's just referring to that Greek. And if we had a, more time, maybe we'll do this as we get into this stuff back on that board, we'll get into that. But yes, I do believe that's one element that you will retain what you have done in your spirit of love and faith here on this earth. There, I mean, Paul says it clearly, don't kid yourself. We reap what we sow. But doesn't Revelation say that God is going to wipe away all of our memories and wipe every tear from our eye? Yeah, and I don't think we've sown that if we've walked by the Spirit. I don't think that's what we are, what we are uh, reaping, our misery and woes. We've gone through it in the flesh, but when, when all that is done, I'm just saying the things that were of the Spirit and that were of love and that were of Christ done by Christians in this life, they will still have after this life. That's my view of what the scripture says. But even in Revelations, when it says that all your memories of the past will be wiped away, that's a, it's, it's saying that in a positive way. It's saying that that's when God has come and lived with us. We're no longer going to remember the old ways and the old things. That's all that stuff's going to be gone. Well, yeah, wipe yeah. all the tears from us. It's not saying that like it's a bad thing that's going to happen to people who are punished. Yeah. That's what's going to happen to the people that live with them. Yeah, I don't know that it says all your memories will be wiped away. It says all your tears will be wiped away. We know that after this life, there is memory of what happens in the world beyond. We know that the Lazarus, I know he was in, the, he was in hell, 
but uh, 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 Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom, and the rich man, he was saying, hey, I've got brothers back there. You know, go back and talk to them. You know, so he had a memory. So I'm not sure all these things, especially from the book of Revelation, uh, can be, really be understood, Curtis. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for answering the questions. I understand a lot more about what you think now. Thanks, my brother. And, uh, I'm glad to talk to someone who's a preterist, and you, because you, I, I don't meet many of them, and you say that it's not incompatible with your beliefs that the end times can happen again. No, it's not. My, I, my only point is I am certain that Christ wrapped it all up with that age, the Jews, and him coming to them in 70 AD and the destruction of Jerusalem. Hey, thanks, right. Curtis. God bless you, my friend. Take care, man. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Charles from Arizona. Charles, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing well. I just wanted to say, um, I hope you realize there is a, a, a niche in the audience that uh, are not Mormons, but uh, are Christians who are starting to follow your, your show, and it's just been wonderful. I really like what you have planned for 2014. It's exciting. Oh, good. And your vocabulary is incredible. I got to say that. Ooh. I don't know what half the words mean. <laughs> I just use them. Right. <laughs> yes, you do. But I just wanted to thank you for uh, what you have done. And, um, you know, Mormonism has always been a part of I'm an, a retired educator and um, a part of my life, but I, I've never really fully understood it. Um, but I'm a born-again Christian, have been for many years. And uh, they say once you've been introduced or you, you've accepted Jesus, you never can sleep again. You might nap from time to time, <laughs> and I've had one of those that I've woken up from. But uh, you'll always be with him, and it's been... Uh, just incredible how much you've influenced my existence as well as some of my friends and colleagues. Oh, thanks, Charles. Thank you. So is that it? Well, I didn't have a question per se. I really like what you have set up for 2014. Oh, good. I, I am excited about that. And I must confess that my um, Bible doctrine is, well, let's say a little bit limited. It could be much, much better. So it's it's been a catalyst to get that back under construction. So I've uh, hit a couple of different sources and uh, yeah, that's, that's happening as we speak. Tremendous. Thanks for watching, my friend. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Okay, see you later. Uh, Kirk writes, before I donate, <laughs> I would like to know, once you convince a Mormon to denounce his or her belief, what will you tell them on how to be saved? Um, okay, let me say this. First of all, keep your damn money. <laughs> but second, my wife loves it when I do that. <laughs> uh, but um, I would uh, tell them to believe in their heart that Christ Jesus is raised from the dead and uh, confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord. That is how I would tell them to be saved. And then whatever follows from there, uh, that comes from him to follow and pursue. Um, but to be saved, I would say, do you believe that he came? The gospel, 1 Corinthians says, listen, he was born, he lived a life, he suffered, he died, he rose on the third day. And, and Paul clearly says that's the gospel. I believe that. Many people add to that. Christians add and take away and stuff. But I think that's the gospel. Do you believe that? And 
do you confess that with your mouth, meaning is Jesus the I am? It's not just Jesus, the idea, but is he the I am? And that really plays into the whole historicity of him from the Old Testament to the New. And that's what I would say, uh, Kirk. Do you believe Jesus is the I am? And confess with your mouth. That doesn't mean go forward and say it. I confess. It means do you, do you live it? Do you confess it in your walk with your life? When people say, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. All right, from Linda. Sean, I have questions that perhaps you can help me understand. God created us. Instead of the lake of fire, for those whose names are not written in the book of life, why does God not just uncreate? By the way, that was a Brigham Young idea, I think, that people who go to outer darkness, which is me, they will be deconstructed and go back to their original intelligent spirit cells out into the cosmos. But why doesn't he just uncreate those who did not love and believe in him and have no desire to do so? Why allow them to continue to exist, my answer would be love. Why he so loved the world, he sent his son. Love this fallen world, cosmos. He sent his son. Love. That's why he would want them to continue to exist. And he will do whatever's necessary to bring those recalcitrant, uh, pig-headed people around to uh, him. So it, love never fails. If 1 Corinthians says love fails after a certain period of time, I would agree more with what you guys are saying. All right, we're going to Jeff in Danbury, Connecticut on line one. Jeff, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good, I haven't talked to you in a while, but I wanted to thank you. You helped me when I was in a, a stumbling state, and as you know, I came back to the Lord, and I'm, I'm more on fire than I was before, and I, God revealed a lot of things to me in that process. Awesome. Um, I, just real quick, I just, I've been praying for you, and I just want to... You know, you know, I love you, and I. There's sometimes we have to be humbled, and uh, a few things that concern me for you. And you know, I love you, and I could talk to you as a brother. That, uh, you know, I, when just when you say like certain words, like damn, and you call people stupid, yeah, or idiots, or whatever. Yeah, you probably have heard it before, and I don't want to sound like like I'm some perfect guy either. I I do that sometimes too, but I always think of that that verse hits me so hard with the raka and what we say to each other, how serious God takes that. And uh, that it's just, it, it looks bad. And I know, I know your heart, and I, I don't want to reflect the negative part of you, because I know from what I've seen of you who you truly are, and it gives a bad image of who you really are. Does that make sense? You know what, it, Jeff, who I really am is a fricker. I am a rat bastard. That's really who I am. I am not, you don't, my heart is not good, I promise you. It's mm -hmm. pretty bad. But uh, those, I justify the use of those words like uh, a doctor would justify having to scrub vigorously on a child's skin knee. I, I use them to wake people up, to get them pissed at me, to go and prove me wrong, to hate me, because hate is a, is a form of emotion, it's a feeling. If, if, if I created indifference in them, I would get nowhere. So with some I show forth a great deal of love the best I can, and some I show forth real strength. And, and Jeff, one more thing, the way I justify it, is I don't see there's any I don't see a difference between the word idiot and Jesus calling people vipers or sons of the devil. And if the yes. Lord can do it and we are to follow him and he is our example as the son of man and John the Baptist could do it, then I'm trying to use it in the same way. Yeah, I, I just see the verse be angry and sin not. And to me that's sin. 
And I'll come. Whatever, the Lord could send people to hell, but we can't. So we, we don't do exactly what the Lord does. Okay, so now you and I have a difference because what you do is you say, follow Jesus, be like Jesus, do what Jesus does, but you can't do certain things because he's the Lord and we don't do the... So I, 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 I say he as the son of man, we follow his... So, so how is it sin when I call someone an idiot? Explain that. Because it says in the word in Matthew 5, I think it was 520, I think it's 520, I might yeah. be wrong, that we're not supposed to, and he who does that is in, in danger of hellfire. Okay, now you have Why to... Why would you do it if his word says not to? You have to remember context, Jeff. What was being said and who was saying it to whom and where in Matthew 5? That was Jesus talking to Jews who were under the law and who thought that the law would bring them. And so he gave them every single instance possible to show it was impossible for them to do it on their own. They needed him. That's the context of understanding uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The teachings there were to the Jews. And so, yeah. I, yeah. I, I understand that, but what I'm saying, if it's a characteristic of God not liking it, it should be a characteristic of God's seed that's in us that we shouldn't like it either. Okay, but God used viper and sons of the devil, hypocrites, liars. Uh, tell me the difference between that and idiot. I would never call anyone those things because it's, it's the, when I read the scriptures, it says don't let any, uh, any evil words like that come out of your mouth. I, I, I don't think those words are evil. Okay, let me ask you something. Uh, we're also, the scripture also says that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, and all those things. If a child was, right. if a child was in the street and a truck was booming down the street, would you scream? Yeah, I wouldn't call him an idiot though. Okay, well, that wouldn't matter what you did. You would scream and you would break the peace. You would do something necessary to try to get them to move into action, wouldn't you? Yes, so what I wouldn't trample on their character. I would help them. That's different. Okay, you, you, you wouldn't help them. That. You, would, you would do everything you urgently could in the short period of time you had while the truck was barreling toward them to get them to wake the heck up. That's what I do. And it's not your way. I'm not suggesting you do this when you're sitting at the, at the Piggly Wiggly having a burrito and having a conversation with somebody. I'm not suggesting it. But I am suggesting it on a television show when people call and there's a confrontation and there is an, a, a thing of ideas and there's an agenda of that guy to call and try to destroy what we were doing with that guest that, that had a very appropriate purpose. It was to tell him, look, you are being stupid right now. You are not doing a good thing. I find that one of the most loving things you can do. Yeah, it, it's just the style in which, which one Yeah, you're never like gonna change my style. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I get what you're saying. It, it, I know. I just, I'm gonna continue praying for you, like I said. Your prayers aren't gonna change my style. <laughs> Listen, Jeff, I know you mean well. I've met so many like you. You write me the most heartfelt uh, emails, you really want me to be like you. No, but I'm, I'm like, not. I'm like I, John I, the Baptist, dude. He, he ripped. That's what I do. It's my, that's how God made me. If you tried to make me, Jeff, like one of those pastors who are so calm. I, I am not trying to make you. You should be striving to be more Christ-like. Don't Okay, I think I'm now, being Christ-like, Jeff. That means you're not growing. Jeff, I think I'm being Christ-like when I'm not afraid to call people out on their stuff. I think that Don't other people, to do, my friend. listen, I think other people are being wimpy when they call it Christ-like and they just sit there and humbly take stuff. 
I'm sorry. I think that I have plenty of biblical context to show this. This. Remember, what did Paul say? He said, contend earnestly for the faith. Do you know what that, that, that contention is? In love. He didn't say that in love. Everything says to be done in love. And it's loving to be aggressive when it's needed. Just like it's loving not to when you cut someone's character. That's not a loving. Okay, look at you. You want to put that on me, Jeff? Like, like I'm gonna like Mike saying this caller who had an agenda is an idiot. You want to make me and put me in the mold that I need to be more like Jesus? I have a feeling that if Jesus was hosting the show, he would have called him an idiot too. But I, I know Sorry. you as a Christian, people watching and unbelievers would say, "Wow, he was very kind versus very rude." Uh, uh, what, so you think he would say, oh, thou idiot? Oh, you think he would deliver it in a kind way? The light of Christ when you be as loving what as you did can you, What did Christ do when he cleared the tables, Jeff? When he made a whip and he drove people out and he threw the tables over. What was that about, Jeff? This is, this is Christ who is sinless. Tell me, was that peaceable? You think we're commanded ever to go make a whip and go hit unbelievers? We're commanded. We are commanded to follow to our leader. We're commanded to follow our king. He did that in love. To Look the at Jews, like you just said before, we have nothing to okay. do with the sons of Belial. We oh, are supposed to go okay. under the commandment so, to love others. Okay. And, 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 and I love others. The body, okay, not without the body. Jeff, let me explain something to you. My love for others has caused our family to do everything we possibly can for the people of Utah and what we do on this show. You have no idea at all what we've done out of love for the people. So you hear me on a week call someone out and I was dead right on what he was doing. And you now wanna call and correct me on saying idiot. I think you might wanna step back and think about judging. I'm just, Sean, like I said, I'm, I'm yeah, just Yeah, now you're doing it in you. love, right? You could either take the rebuke. Yeah, take the rebuke. You, I'm, you take the rebuke. You. you take the rebuke. All right? Okay. You're being rebuked right now. Because what you're oh, doing is just... What are you rebuking me on? I'm rebuking you on thinking you have the, uh, the right and audacity to step in and say it's not loving in the way I handle certain people. I don't know how, who made you the judge. Who made That's you the I'm judge? I, I read it differently than you. How do you You're read Jesus? I'm not going to let this go. How do you read Jesus calling people vipers, sons of the devil, John the Baptist doing the same? How do you read him overturning tables when he was angry with something that was being done that was wrong? How do you justify that, but you say what I am doing is wrong? He, but he's calling them, because uh, him being a righteous judge, he's calling them the son, he's calling them devils, that the viper was the devil. And that guy was an idiot. We don't judge who's devil and who's God. That's not, we can't do that. Look at the word judge means don't condemn. It doesn't mean don't judge. It means don't condemn. I didn't condemn him by saying he was an idiot. Jesus Jesus knows who's accepts and who doesn't. We don't know who's truly saved. So here we go again. This is a a pet peeve of mine, my friend. And that's when we use Jesus to get him to do certain things that we should do. But he's in another category. And we never can cross over that line when it comes to following him. I'm sorry, but I think you're wrong. I think think it's just proper discernment. I would never act on the... The things that God does. Well, you're what I would do in his commandments of what he tells me to do. Okay. So let me ask you something. You're telling me now I need to alter the, the words I use and the way I present them. I can't tell you to. Only the Holy Spirit could tell well, you. What are you doing then? What am I doing? I'm telling you to help 
save the lost and help edify the brethren to not offend with silly words that don't do anything. Okay, now wait a second. Wait a second. Let's just take that. Do you know how many emails we have gotten, Jeff, from people who said... There's a lot of people... Just wait. No, no, no. Let me finish, Jeff. From people who say, I hated your guts. I could not stand your attitude. But there was something about it I just had to come back and watch. And in time, those people came out and came to know the Lord? I, I, I know you do. I know you're... No, 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 no. no. I'm... I'm by using that word and calling people names. Well, wait a minute. We have people who say that very method brought them out to the truth. But how many people may have walked away from watching your how many people? How that? many people are turning the channel now because you're droning on and on? Okay. Well, okay, Jeff, when like do you said, stop? You my point is... I'll take whatever you're Jeff, trying to rebuke look at, with. My point is I would never call you and say, Jeff, you need to be more aggressive. I would say, Jeff, you I, need to... I, I would, well, if I thought I did, then, and, and you told me, I would have to... And that's part of the problem with the body today, is that we roam around and we police everybody in the way they are, and we try to make a homogenous group so that everybody can fit in, and, every, and that is not the way God made us, Jeff. You are taking how God made me, and you're saying, don't be that way. And it's effective, Jeff. And you don't, you don't see the emails. You have I'm not trying to offend you. I'm it's not offended. I'm not offended. I'm trying to get, drive something into your head to see you're wrong. It sounds like you're right, but you're wrong. I know you believe okay. you're right. You feel good and holy in this, set, in this presentation, but you're wrong. That's all I can say. And we have the evidence to prove it. Okay, but I just, uh, you know, I, I know you're probably out of time, but I, I wish you the best. You know I have nothing but good things to say about you regardless. That was a don't, kind, don't, kind thing. With whatever you, if you disagree, that's fine. I just, I'm going to keep praying for you and strive for Christ-like. That's it. I'll keep striving for Christ-like, Jeff. All right, brother. Thank Take you. Bye-bye. Oh, it does. Let's go. Uh, we have one minute. We're out of time. We're out of time. John, San Antonio, you're rude, selfless. Selfish brother, Jeff, took up all your time on that call. I, we should send him a, a telegram. Please consider others. On, you see how it, it doesn't end. It never ends when we start doing that stuff. So why don't we just let people be who they are? I don't, you don't have to think I should be like Billy Graham. I try to be like Christ in the love, and then the love for me is to say the truth when I see it, the way I am, it's not perfect, but God, remember 1 Corinthians again, uses the weak things of the world. And that's what I am, the weakest of all Christians, the weakest, okay? Never made any bones about that. And so don't try to hold me up and say, I need to be something different, someone else that I'm not, because it won't happen. It just won't. All right, we love you guys. We'll come back next week, and we're going to start getting into the topic of God between the two uh, religious points of view and see if we can come together to a biblical understanding. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Yeah.